Well, hello everyone. Welcome to our uh, first episode of Basic Fans. Uh, my name is Jacob, and I will be your host this evening. Hopefully, uh, we can get through this without any snafus or anything. But uh, I have our first guest. Uh, she goes by Silly Hearts Club on Instagram. She's also my wife. Fun fact. But I felt it was appropriate to have her as my first guest because I know what her schedule is and it's easier to schedule someone who lives in the same house as you. So, Alex, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, basically, uh, this is, for, for Basic Fans Podcast, this is essentially just a, a spot where we can casually chat about things that we're interested in. Uh, something that we don't have to be super into like uh like it's hard hard uh hard carved into our hearts uh but and we don't necessarily have to be the best educated at things too but uh i wanted to basically start this podcast with that type of mindset so uh wanted the casual fan to be able to meet in a spot and talk about these things uh so Alex, I've always considered you as someone who is definitely more educated than me in a lot of ways, for sure. But uh, I really appreciate your your depth when it comes to providing detail for a lot of subjects. And uh, yeah. Well, that's very nice of you to say. I do a lot of unnecessary research. So uh, makes sense. Glad it. Glad you find it. I don't know, beneficial somehow. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I, I don't know, like, in what way specifically they're beneficial, but I feel I feel that they are. I think that's that's okay. pretty important. Um, so, what do you mean by like unnecessary research? Could you like tell us a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, yeah, I guess I could. So, I mean, it kind of goes into the whole idea behind why you're starting this podcast of you know, someone being like not like a transient fan of something but not obsessive either I think there are uh, some people out there that take uh, fanaticism pretty literally and they go all out and they like live their lives like just as if they're living in these other fantasy or fictional worlds um, and they know the ins and outs very thoroughly uh, almost as if like they're living in those cultures uh, I on the other hand don't uh, do that but yeah. I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle of uh, someone who just likes something and is a fan and someone who is obsessive like that Yeah, uh, because I do like to know and understand uh, I like, all of that I like I like that term that you you mentioned, like transient fan. It's almost like uh, you're like this drifter hobo on this train, right? And so you're on the <laughs> yes. train. We get on the uh, a lot of terms like the hype train of stuff, and we've seen that a lot recently. Well, not just recently, but now like over a decade of people getting on certain trains for the first time. Um, I think for a lot of people, Marvel was like a big big kind of train to hop on uh, ever since Iron Man came out and then everyone at that point was starting to get into understand that these these comic book movies and things like that actually have some substance to them and it and it's something that sparks curiosity and so they just jump on those trains uh, but I love that it kind of makes you I've never really saw you as a drifter hobo, but uh, it's cool to imagine right now. If we're talking about it in terms of this analogy, I guess the obsessive people sort of live on those trains. Right. Um, and you really shouldn't live on a train 
and then, yeah, there are the, the drifter hobos that just kind of jump on and take the train as far as they need to and then hop off and go find the next train or maybe they're home. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I feel like maybe I'm someone that works on the train, so I'm only on it when necessary <laughs> or when it's running. So, uh, but at some point, I get off. <laughs> so you're like a, you're like a not maybe a hobo, but more of like a disgruntled employee that yeah. maybe is like on the train and it's like, I'll drive this train, yeah. but I don't know how long I'm gonna be here, so don't get comfortable. I'm not. I'm not a. I'm not a conductor, but I'm maybe <laughs> that person that goes through the train and like checks people's tickets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you. Yeah, you have to put up with all the like excuses and like the, just the the monotony of the job. So, do you feel like? <laughs> so why? What? What keeps you from? What really keeps you from becoming the conductor then? At that point, because I feel like. When I, when I look at these two groups of people, like I see a casual fan, but then I also see uh, someone who I would call uh, the committed, right? Where they are, they're neat, they're like neck deep in kind of all of the, the stories, the details. And typically when I see those types of people, they have a very strong analytical mind. Uh, they have a very... I, I, I don't know, I, I guess even a more, com a strong commitment to having correct information, it seems yeah. also, right? So I, I've kind of felt like in a lot of ways, you specifically have had that type of affinity uh, when it comes to just information in general. So what keeps you from becoming the conductor on the train? What did it for me because yeah I've got that sort of tendency uh, to just want to live in that that world I think we all have those moments of escapism right where it's like right. oh life's kind of life's kind of rough right now or whatever I'm gonna write some Star Wars fan fiction or something right. uh, <laughs> why can't I live on the train right it exactly, would be fancy yeah, like it's the like the Orient Express right <laughs> yeah because I have to eat food and I have to drive my car and I have to clean my house like I have to do all these things in the world I do live in um and to try to live in the other worlds in those fictional worlds pulls you away to an extent from your actual life and you can see that online with how like isolating uh conversations are Mm -hmm. with people who who do that and are driven to be right uh, about these other worlds that don't actually exist. Uh, okay. And I think the other thing is inconsistency and incongruity. Uh, even the authors and creators of a lot of these things, you know, they go so far to create these, these really deep, well-built worlds, but there are still things that just don't line up and don't match right. and if you go so far to become obsessive about it either you're gonna start uh, nitpicking every little thing and get to this point where you're just like well this doesn't quite match up so I'm gonna disregard this whole other section of it and then I might be like mean to the people who like that section of it right um, and that's not fun. <laughs> no one, no one really wants to live like that or be that person or or have those sorts of conversations where it's just stirring the pot and making people upset, uh, yeah. or you're constantly upset. Um, the other, like, I don't know. The only world I've seen that is so complete where I could find myself very easily falling into it is One Piece. And I think that's why I've kept myself from reading the manga and just have stuck to the anime. So, <laughs> uh, I don't want to dive that deep into it. Right. So for those for those who are uh, listening to, I might kind of interject and uh, just kind of explain if you don't know what it is, um, because in, in a lot of ways, I market myself and I'm sure Alex does too, as casual fans. But uh, even 
those that types of uh, term of being a basic fan is relative in some ways. So uh, just to be absolutely clear, uh, in case you don't know, One Piece is uh, a Japanese comic uh, manga that is extremely popular, and it, it it's a long, long series. So basically, it's been going on since the late 90s and has not stopped. So it's been one giant story about these group of essentially pirates um, and some have like, you know, abilities. Uh, but basically, it's been one long story. And so I think what are they? Uh, they're over a thousand chapters, right? At this point. Yeah, I mean, because the anime hasn't caught up with the manga. Right. And the anime is at like 800, 900 plus episodes. Um, yeah. I don't know how many chapters there are in the manga, but it's, really? it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. And, and, and that's and what's super amazing about uh, the, the creator, Oda, is that um, he not only creates the story, um, a, a huge story that kind of all fits, but he's managed to kind of create all of these tie-ins uh from like you'll watch some of these newer episodes and these uh or read the the newer chapters and you can see those previous relationship touch points or events from way older parts of the series and so not only is he writing this huge great story he's also he also has all of these tie-ins and he understands who's come into contact with who and and has a lot of great attention paid to the stories. In fact, we were talking about just how some stories are very in, uh, sometimes they have holes or they're they're not congruent with with other types of events and things like that. But I think in this instance for that particular example, one piece, I don't really I haven't really seen anything. Well, the reason why I don't get irritated with flashbacks. It's the only anime I've ever watched where I don't get irritated with flashbacks or right. the quote-unquote filler episodes, for the most part. They've had a couple that are like, this is not important. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, a lot of the times, especially recently, they'll call back things from as far back as even like the first episode or yeah. first season. And it's like, oh my gosh, you're saying this goes all the way back to that? That's right. ridiculous. And I have no idea how Oda keeps all of it straight because it's so massive, but he does. I have yet to find something in the, the later seasons that just doesn't match up. Right. Or and, and feels like completely out of left field exactly like like there's there's really there's really nothing there and i think that that kind of contributes to the allure of the story but at the same time i and i know that you can attest to this for those people that we've talked to that are casually into anime or they're just starting or maybe they have watched a few like 24 episode you know shows and are looking for something to kind of dig in you and i i think at, at, at different points have offered one piece to those types of people and they're always super intimidated by the the length of it the the amount that they would have to do to catch up to it and so Almost. in a way do you think that that <laughs> do you think that that makes us with with different parts of one piece uh, a basic fan at that point or do you think that we are committed in, in that in that instance I think there are different levels of it um, and I definitely feel like I am a more committed fan to One Piece um, yeah. now I'm not going to get into any arguments with anyone about it and I'm not going to try right. to force anyone to watch it I do feel a little bit disappointed every time someone says oh no I don't, I don't think I can do that one um right but you know it's a line not everyone wants to cross um yeah especially just because to start i mean it's so many episodes 
Right. And if someone feels driven to this sort of like, I have to be caught up kind of a feeling, then right. yeah, that's a lot of pressure. I remember when you wanted me to watch it with you <laughs> and yeah. we picked it back up. I mean, it took you years to convince me to watch it yeah. and we picked it up and I, I think it was only at maybe like 400 episodes at that point and it took <laughs> us only <laughs> yeah it took us several months at a ridiculous pace of like episodes per day yeah to catch up to where it was and then at that point we were like oh no we have to wait till next week right oh this is nuts and then yeah. it felt like each episode was too short because we had found that pace and rhythm of watching it hours at a time and so then we'd let it, you know, we'd let it go a few weeks so that we could sort of binge watch four or five episodes. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I think now more recently, especially, you know, being back in the house and uh, right. looking for stuff, I, we've kept up with it on a weekly basis and it's become something to look forward to. But, but yeah, like <sighs> definitely feel more committed to that show in particular than to others. For sure. Yeah. So it, it kind of seems like there there are levels of commitment at that point, and I, I would I would feel that those who have uh, have ventured into the, the the manga and 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 kind of read through and been able to kind of go a little bit deeper and maybe even have watched all the movies they've they've done a little bit more digging and and have immersed themselves in you know i'm sure fan fiction and stories like that uh they would probably look at us at that point as basic fans right and so uh at what level do you think that and this may be even just a separate group entirely, or it may encompass both basic fans and committed ones, where you kind of see what we've touched on a little bit, uh, the kind of toxic uh, environment where we see a lot of negative assumptions and a lot of kind of verbal damage being done in these types of fandom communities. Where, where do you think, think that where where that kind of get, comes from? I mean, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. Yeah, that's a big question. It is a big question. I, I can tell you the sort of fandom that I've seen the most toxicity in uh, is Star Wars, which is really uh, disappointing to me as a Star Wars fan uh, yeah. because I have at times felt sort of ousted by yeah. uh, bigger Star Wars fans um, yeah. because I do have a more casual um, love for it. And even then, like, I don't know, you and I play this Star Wars uh, role-playing game really consistently. Right. I have written quite a bit of fan fiction. Um, like, my, my original character has this really deep history uh, within the universe and so I don't consider myself very casual but to many Star Wars fans I am like bottom of the barrel casual <laughs> fan which is yeah. ridiculous and so I, I feel like it almost comes from this feeling of inadequacy in some other part of your life yeah. I don't want to like knock anyone down but I just can't imagine Star Wars being such an important thing to you that you want to tear someone else down for something that's right. actually a mutual interest. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I don't know if it's someone just chasing a feeling of superiority. Uh, I just, am, I'm really not sure. Um, but it all yeah. kind of goes back to that thing of uh, the inconsistencies and incongruities. Star Wars it started as a handful of movies in the 70s and 80s that launched into these this just wealth of books written by lots of different people um and right. then you have the prequels that show up in the early 2000s and 
Lots of people didn't like those. Apparently, you know, as much as you and I grew up with the original trilogy, and that was something that I think our parents shared with us. Yeah. And sort of fostered a love for the series at that point. Uh, you and I were old enough to be totally disappointed <laughs> by the, yeah. uh, the prequels when they first came out. And, uh, like, I actually remember it being the first bad movie-going experience of my life. Uh, to right. the point where, like, the film melted and no one in the theater even seemed to care that the film had melted <laughs> oh, halfway no. through the movie. Um, yeah. And so, uh, uh, that was for The Phantom Menace. But, uh, <laughs> but you and I have met some people and made friends with people who are a bit younger than us. And they absolutely love the prequels because yeah. that was the trilogy they grew up with. And we don't get it <laughs> yeah um, i've tried i've tried so hard to watch those movies and enjoy them and uh the odd thing is a lot of the people that love those movies really can't stand the new trilogies which were made by a studio that was scared of how much the prequels were reviled yeah. so they they didn't really touch much of those it's a totally different type of storytelling uh, and and yeah, there are things where it's like very influenced by uh, I think a studio and directors and writers that were sort of scared to do wrong. Um, well, and- I, it, it it's 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 interesting that you mention that just because there, and I'm sure we, as far as Star Wars goes, we could talk for hours about that and, and just kind of the environment with where it is right now but i think and this is something that i'm pretty sure disney is uh not ignorant to is that we're seeing a change happening uh we're seeing kind of a shift uh and it's not necessarily a shallow one either uh we're seeing now I was reading an article that basically was talking about the growth of board games and and how even in that area we're seeing a huge increase in in players and these players have to come from somewhere and they're not they're not necessarily what I would imagine to be from a committed group because er- they would already be playing them at that point yeah. right and so we're seeing a huge shift in casual uh fans or basic fans be able to go towards these uh very specific areas where the committed ruled as a majority and we're seeing now these kind of these mergings of these groups and and that in itself is creating a lot of friction, primarily coming from the committed, and understandably so, because they've invested way more time and effort and parts of their life to, to be able to have what they have, right? And so uh, I, I think that we're seeing kind of a feeling of their experience being jeopardized at the expense of the uneducated in their mind, I think. Um, So there's like a friction there, definitely. But But I think that that's where that line gets crossed, where you've invested so much emotionally in the knowledge and understanding you have of a work of fiction. Yeah. That it becomes such a pivotal part of you that anything that's not similar to that... Uh, you take as a something weaponized against you right and, and yeah you start lashing out at those more casual people <laughs> right um whereas i i think it's amazing that things become more accessible to others like i think about the mandalorian right which is a show that uh i think you and i at the level of which we are fans and nerds for it um and for star wars uh, is fantastic for us because there are some really great nods to things that uh, kind of call out to other parts of the universe. We're seeing things folded in from uh, thought stuff that everyone kind of thought was cast away as non-canon. Right. Um, and that's really exciting. 
but at the same time, the show is very accessible. Um, I have friends that I would have never thought, like we've never talked Star Wars before, and yet they love The Mandalorian and are right. watching it on a weekly basis. Right. And so that's really cool because for me as someone who's felt so, sort of, um, you know, as a girl uh, who loves these things and has loved these things her whole life, uh, it was really hard to find other girls that also yeah. liked this stuff. And so for me to have friends who uh, I've worked really hard to find common interests with right. um, that are, are a little more, I guess, uh, standard uh, for girls and women. Uh, but to be able to also talk Star Wars with those people, I think that's super cool. But I think we're also seeing this shift in uh, inclusivity around different people for Star Wars. I think right. it's I think it's a lot easier for girls to like Star Wars now than it used to be. For women to like Star Wars now than it used to be. Uh, yeah. So I think that's really cool. Uh, but I definitely also feel like it 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 does it rubs some people the wrong way. Yeah. It it and I I think that that's. I think we're starting to see, I think, inclusivity and uh, there's, there's a balance with accessibility and and still being able to, I, I think accessibility goes to both parties, right? And I think Mandalorian does that so well is that uh, you see from, from Favreau and Filoni that these two guys understand what makes Star Wars work. Uh, because they they are interested in what George Lucas was interested in when he initially created these stories. And so you've got a really good mix. I think The Mandalorian is really the future of Star Wars because we see everyone being satisfied. How exciting is it that millions of people know the, the name Thrawn at this point, right? And so, uh, which was absolutely impossible with the way things were going uh, before the Mandalorian, right? And so, it's it's really interesting to see how a few people can kind of change the dynamic of these types of fandoms. Filoni, Dave Filoni, which we'll probably have on as a guest uh, pretty soon. Um uh, hopefully uh, that would be very very cool it would be fantastic <laughs> um because i would love i would primarily love to see his insight into how he has communicated with these types of groups and how he interacts with uh his fellow fans because as he's a fan himself right and as someone who is committed he is definitely one that is right. Absolutely. So, but I think so, what's great about him and and John Favreau, I think that you get this like this sense of uh, that they want to share this with everyone right. and get as many people as excited and involved as possible. Um, it's a very like palpable thing when you watch. Uh, their shows that they've mm -hmm. created as like with Filoni especially like Clone Wars Clone Wars made the prequel trilogy accessible for me I used right. to really loathe those movies and I couldn't stand the character of Anakin Skywalker and uh, and so the Clone Wars series made it to where like it bridged that gap for me, Dave Filoni is very good at bridging that gap. And I think that's right. what we're seeing with The Mandalorian is his love for this universe, as well as for storytelling and for sharing with other people. He's got all of those things folded in. And it's it's almost like <laughs> they always say like a, a meal cooked with love is going to be better, right? Than right. when it's not. And so I feel like his shows are prepared with love. Uh, Interesting. That's super cool. Yeah, I, I think that um, we're, we we see through Dave Filoni and and Favreau in in these instances good examples of ways to inspire 
uh, inclusivity, but most of all, curiosity into a deeper world. And that's that's some really good concepts, I think, uh, or examples rather of us to follow for those who are committed and have an opportunity to mentor in a way the the people like us, the, the, the casual basic fans, right? To be able to go be a part of that and instead of being exclusive and saying, hey, don't 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 come over here. You don't deserve to come over here because you haven't been through what I have been through to get to this spot of knowledge. And uh, instead, being a mentor and being able to say, you know, this is a really cool place to like, uh, like place to learn about. Yeah. And and inspiring uh, those to have that conversation. So while we see good examples of that on the committed side, I'm really interested in exploring how the casual fan or the basic fan can bring something like that to the table uh, within these two parties. And, uh, and I think that for me personally, having uh, a sense of enthusiasm for whatever, we're, we're talking about and being inquisitive definitely helps i think absolutely yeah absolutely um well and i think a good place for that sort of conversation around casual fans of things uh i think we're seeing a lot of stuff brought up for casual fans in regards to video games um, yeah <laughs> like look at among us and uh Animal Crossing. Oh my goodness. My mom bought a Switch for Animal <laughs> Crossing. Um, Have you played with her yet? I haven't. I really need to like, I, I don't know. They've been working on moving and there's been a lot right, going on right. with them. So I'm I'm not, I haven't like pressed her about that. Uh, but maybe, maybe uh, here in the near future, once they're settled in, I'll, I'll FaceTime her and help her set that up. Um, but uh, yeah, Animal Crossing is huge for the casual gamer, but it's also something you could just spend a whole day playing if you are more involved. Right. Um, and then I think about that, oh, what is that game we play? Deep Rock Galactic. Oh there's yeah. There's no story to that, <laughs> but there's so much you can do in it. And it's just so, like there's such silly stuff in there with like right. drinking a beer or kicking the can is so dumb. Uh, and yet it can be pretty intense and uh, you've got the action built in there uh, as well as like tasks to perform. It kind of hits all the, the nice marks. Um, right. But each level you play is short enough that I could sit down and play it for like 20 minutes and then just be done. Or if we're on with enough people, we could just totally dive in for hours doing mission after mission. Like it's it's a perfect game for either uh, type of gamer, I think. Yeah, and this may be this may be like a really nice uh, kind of thought too, just for people who maybe aren't fans of anything like that at all and are maybe curious. Um, what do you think that as casual fans can do to talk to people who are not fans? Like, what do you think are some things that would be able to inspire, like, uh, like we see from these examples of the the committed who are are creating these opportunities for inspiration to get people curious about those types of subjects? You're gonna make me get real deep here. <laughs> um, so I think back on what we were talking about earlier, where like. A lot of that sort of animosity comes from a feeling of and uh, sorry, someone was calling me <laughs> a feeling of superiority that that someone's chasing after. Why? Why is someone chasing after that feeling of superiority right. within a fictional world? Because they <laughs> yeah. haven't felt that in the real world, right? They, like, and I remember being a kid. I remember being in high school being like afraid to share my love of these things right and a lot of it didn't come from someone making fun of me for liking something 
or being just outright mean. It right. came from this sort of flat look someone would get on their face of mm. like a, oh, you're into that. And it's almost like they were scared of going any further in the subject, had absolutely no curiosity at all. Um, and just however the response was, just shut down the conversation and short, sort of like shut down the passion. And, right. and I think that a lot of uh, the time, uh, it's, it's not so much that the person doesn't think it's an interesting thing. Maybe it comes from that, but I think it's, I think people get scared of passion, especially when it's something that, uh, I think culture has taught is unimportant or frivolous. Uh, right. but I don't consider anything that makes someone happy, that brings them joy, like something you're a fan of like anime or or star wars or whatever i don't right. think that that's frivolous at all and so i i think that for the casual person an attitude more of curiosity um and and recognizing that a passion for that is not frivolous um right is really important to sort of engage in those conversations without it being overwhelming and you could even say something like, you know, I've never really been into it, but I like that you're excited about it. Why do you love it so much? You know, mm. engage on that level, maybe. Like, it's so cool that you've got something you're passionate about. Right. Let's talk about that. Yeah, I, I love those sense? moments. I, I love those moments. Yeah, especially because, like, a lot of times they're very unexpected like yeah. you, don't, you never would have thought that this particular person would be like into that and then when you you accidentally maybe maybe even an accident where you just kind of broach the topic you kind of see their eyes light up and their like face kind of change right and uh and then all of a sudden it, there's an instant connection there and and it, yeah I, I i completely agree with you i think passion is something that is uh it's overly used, I think, for a, a lot of terminology when it comes to these types of scenarios where we talk about fandoms and and uh, you know being into Star Wars and things like that. But the yeah, the 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 point with being kind of superior using it, it doesn't really match up any time with passion. At that point, uh, no. it's just it's just something that I think they feel that they are deserved yeah. because of the work. But well, uh, I think it comes from a place of hurt. Was yeah. was what I was getting at. Um, mm. But I I think too, I think people are afraid of something they don't understand, and yeah. so I, I think a lot of the uh, I think a lot of where that hurt comes from is from people feeling like others are afraid of their yeah. interests <laughs> um, because they don't understand why someone's interested in something to that extent. But it could be passionate about anything. Yeah, uh, Someone could be passionate about cooking or painting or whatever, and there are still people who meet that passion uh, with fear. They're yeah. afraid of that, that level of, of interest in something. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I think that there, there, I would not, I would not think that all groups have those types of toxic people, but uh, when it comes to these fan groups, uh, I, I think the bigger the group, the more opportunity there is for those things to exist. But for example, I would think that you are a Jane Austen fan, right? Do you do you kind of see that type of Star Wars toxicity there? There in is that group? definitely a sense of toxicity, um, and there was actually really? a lot of drama over the summer with the Jane Austen fan community on the internet. Yeah, wow, uh, specifically on Twitter. Oh yeah, um, there's a lot of so they 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 take all their switchblade knives out of their their <laughs> petticoats and corsets no. and they're ready to to throw down at that point no no um but uh 
I don't know. Uh, there's so there's the whole kind of idea of whitewashing and uh, in movies and stuff. And I think uh, an example of that that stands out just in movies in general was Avatar: The Last Airbender, the movie uh, adaptation. Yeah, we won't get into that. But uh, with not Jane expecting Austin you and, to broach that subject. Sorry. With uh, uh, the idea of Jane Austen, though, and. The thing that comes up is the time period and the setting. Uh, most of it's in the UK. In the the time period she was alive, I think the 1800s. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they're mostly portrayals of white characters in the films. And right. We're seeing things where, like, uh, this is an, an Austin movie. It's it's a Dickinson movie, but um, I think it was Nicholas Nickleby they recently uh, remade, and they cast Dev Patel in the role. And, oh, people okay. just were, like, freaking out because he is uh, Indian. He's not white. Right. and Great actor. Fantastic actor. Yep. Looked amazing in the costume. I don't see the problem, but there are people out there that do see a problem. Uh, and the same thing sort of applies in a lot of Jane Austen fandom stuff. People like to do their like dream casting of who they'd have in a more recent adaptation of some movie and they might cast people who are not white and like I think that's totally cool cast whoever you want but there are some toxic fans out there that are like, this is not true to the time period. This is an inaccurate, uh, what is it? Anaccurism. It's a hard word to say. Um, and congratulations for getting through it though. <laughs> thanks. And it's just ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing to nitpick over. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. And well, that's what was happening. And, uh, yeah. There was a lot of drama around a show in particular. I can't remember the name of it because I didn't like it. Um, that was on PBS. And there were people using a symbol that others considered racist in their, like, usernames. And it had to do with, yeah, Jane Austen ad adaptation. And there was a huge blow up. And oh, it was one the of my pineapple, wasn't it? Yeah, the pineapple. And yeah. there was fallout that was so bad around it that one of my favorite... Uh, Jane Austen Twitter accounts, which was Drunk Austen, the two women that uh, ran it together ended up parting ways. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, even with Jane Austen, there's toxic fans. It, it, it's, it's really interesting to kind of look at that because I see that, I don't know, like within the Marvel universe, we don't really see as much, I don't think, at least from my perspective, the that type of toxicity specifically to changing the way things are. Like, like just more about the toxicity reacting to change. Now, when it comes to racism and things like that, they, the toxicity is there in every group. Uh, yeah. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking no, about no. the specifics to reacting because someone made a change to the existing either story or the way things are presented as far as the experience. And then there's a negative reaction to it. And I think with Marvel, we don't really see that so much because Marvel's foundation itself is known for a lot of changes to characters and uh, changes to character story. Uh, we've seen so many different origin stories and so many different chapters uh, of these characters' lives where the characters look different. They don't go through things that adhere to previous rules that they had set for themselves in previous stories. And so we see more... And then also as a foundation, the Marvel itself has just been an inclusive type of environment from really the beginning uh, or pretty close to it. So so I, do you think that that maybe has something to do with the, the way that fans can kind of kind of grab, uh, foster that toxicity because of that type of environment, do you think? 
the uh, creators can definitely influence that. Um, I think so. <laughs> we don't see as much with Marvel. You're totally right. Um, now there there is some toxicity around Spider-Man movie adaptations uh, in particular. Um, If you dig too deep on Reddit or on Twitter, you'll find a community of rabid Star rabid Star Star uh, I'm stuck on Star Wars rabid Spider-Man fans who insist that the only movie adaptation that is good, the only Spider-Man that is good is the Tobey Maguire version, which is actually my least favorite version of <laughs> Spider-Man and Peter Parker. Yeah. Um, I think you and I can agree on that one. Yeah, and their particular loathing tends to be for the MCU version of Spider-Man because but, there's a lot of stuff in that that just... There's a lot of stuff in the MCU Spider-Man that, uh, yeah, was kind of... You can tell they were writing his situation around the things that were happening in the MCU. And that's fine because it's just a different version. It's a different playground for these characters. What I I wanted to see was a great Peter Parker and a great Spider-Man. And I believe we got a great Peter Parker and a great Spider-Man. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that because a lot of people I've seen, like, specifically the Spider-Man community where you have those. Like, you have people that are like, yeah, definitely pro Toby and are uh, definitely like even with uh, the amazing Spider-Man as well. Um, Man, I cannot remember his name. Andrew Garfield. That's it. Garfield. Yeah. And then you also have uh mcu as well but we also seen a huge group uh for uh, the spider-man uh universe with with miles morales and oh, yeah. so like being able to have and that to me is like the most crazy storyline uh kind of spot set up and that's not that's not even by marvel like as far as the movie right. itself but right Sony, i i feel like into the spider-verse was this wonderful salve or sab however you say that word i keep using words that i write all the time but don't use speaking uh and just this beautiful masterpiece of a movie yeah that absolutely like brought spider-man fans together for their mutual love of a great film and you actually had two different versions of peter parker in that movie uh which was cool uh and then just different spider people uh, well technically several more than that i mean if you you haven't even thought of peter porker at that point that's why several spider people there were (laughs) two peter parkers right come on uh (laughs) but uh yeah, it was it was so good, and I think got everyone on board. Uh, and what was great about that is even my parents like that movie, and right. our little nephews love that movie. They they like even know when the music comes into play, like they they yeah quote along to it, which is amazing. And it's just a wonderful film and great Spider-Man material. Yeah, exactly. I think that that was uh, speaking of kind of coaxing or inspiring uh, someone who is not committed as a Spider-Man fan. I remember us uh, being able to watch this. uh, We were trying to get uh, some friends of ours that were over to watch. (laughs) Yeah, Hannah, Jane, Hannah. Uh, We were trying to get her to buy into watching the movie. But she because it was an it. animated, like 3D animated feature, she, I, I don't know, maybe perhaps thought it was more of a kid's show. She said she or, didn't like cartoon movies. Right. Yeah. And so uh, that was really cool to be able to say, hey, well, you know what? We, we said, hey, let's just watch the first 15 minutes. Yeah. If you feel like you're into it by then, then we'll keep going. If not, we'll just switch it off. 
Yeah, that's and, what that's the trick we used. I said I'll set a timer, and yeah. when the timer goes off, I'll uh, ask you, do you want to keep watching? And you you make the call, and sure enough, she made the call to keep watching it. Yeah. So yeah, it, there was a. Uh... Some really cool, uh, and I don't know if that maybe changed her viewpoint on animated film. Um, we don't know. Probably not, but I know Probably she at least not. enjoyed that movie. Right. And maybe she, I don't know. We'll have to ask her if she's watched it since we've watched it, but, uh. Maybe you'll I, have I think her as it, a guest. <laughs> that, that, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Okay. If I'm, uh, Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm always up for for guests, you know. Uh, we'll we'll see where Dave Filoni comes in, and okay, you know, I, right. I just want to make sure that I've got his time slot because he's a busy guy too, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, old Dave, you know. Yep. And just speaking as we're familiar, you know, we're we're both kind of familiar with each other's work, so. Uh, yeah. What what is your work that he is familiar with? So moving on, uh, <laughs> what? Uh, so it, it, as far as we're gonna kind of just wrap up here because I think we're about we're about out of time. Um, but what are what are some uh, what are some words of wisdom you have when it comes to being a fan? Love what you love and let other people love what they love too and be civil in your conversations and be happy about being able to have something you feel passionate about nice nice well alex it has been a pleasure having you on uh the basic fans podcast thank you so much for coming thanks for having me hopefully I can join you again. I really hope so. Because <laughs> you were very much available. And yeah. I appreciate that. There's there's I'm not pretty, much great. Pretty I was gonna say there's not much Okay, sorry. we're talking at the same time. <laughs> but uh yeah, there's not much criteria to be on this show. But uh I think you you definitely met above that criteria for sure. Thank you. Excellent. Well, uh, thank you everyone for uh, jumping in and listening on uh, Basic Fans Podcast. Uh, next week, we're going to be exploring even further into sci-fi and uh, be able to touch on a very, very popular series um, that has been alive since the late... 50s or 60s i can't remember um but and we've got a cool movie coming up uh dune so we're going to kind of talk i believe keith is going to be our guest next week and uh fantastic uh nerd and uh and a good friend as well so i uh, look forward to to chatting with him a little bit about it but uh until then thank you so much and Everyone have a great day.